you have your Bibles, we, we want to go to 1 Corinthians. We want to go back to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look in chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. We're picking up from where we left off a couple weeks ago. As a matter of fact, the last time we were in 1 Corinthians, we focused on fighting division. And in a time where we're going through this pandemic and we know that congregations are not filled. We know that there are those who are still at home because of fears of this virus. And we, we, don't, we don't speak against that. We don't preach or teach against that. If we are not comfortable, listen, if you're listening to us through Facebook or YouTube today, if you're listening by DVD, we want you to know that if you don't feel safe, we would rather you not come. If you, if you are sick at all in any way, we would rather you not come. But I, I'm so glad that today we're another week closer to when we're going to be freed from this virus. Yeah. Do, do we ever look at it in those terms? Or do we look at it as, well, we're still in this virus. Well, each day is another day closer to when it's going to be, we're going to be freed from this. It's not going to last forever. I find myself getting discouraged and, and I know we can't continue like we're continuing on for year after year after year after year. But I'm convinced that God is in control and because he's in control, we are another day, another week closer than what we were this time last week. To being freed of the mask, of the separation. We'll be freed from being, feeling bound and not feeling free to worship God as we would want to worship God. And I, I, I just want to say this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior with the mask or without the mask, distant from somebody next to you or right close to somebody, just feel free to worship God. Yes. He'll take care of the rest. Yes, we would wonder why. Why would we be going through division? Well, I'm convinced that soon and very soon we won't be where we are right now. I'm convinced that soon we're going to be able to take the mask off. Soon we're going to be able to sit close to each other. And, and because that is coming, it's on the horizon. I don't know how far out it is, but I know it's coming. We want to be prepared that when we do come back together... In full strength of the church. We're back in Sunday school. We're back having our fellowship times together. We're, we're back sitting next to each other. That we don't find ourselves divided. And the best way to defeat division. Is to be aware of those things that cause division. The apostle Paul helps us to see this here. As he's speaking to the believers in Corinth. About the division that is actually within their church. Paul begins by making an appeal as we taught last time. He was making an appeal to the Corinthian believers to not allow their words to divide them. Instead they were to remain joined together of the same mind and of the same judgment. Paul addressed that they were divided simply 
or he addressed why they were divided. Simply put, they were divided over preference. We talked about that. I, I know you remember that because we spent a long, a good amount of time in the message about preference. They had a preference in preaching styles. And this preference, it created cliques within the church. And these cliques began to boast in the person of who they wanted to follow. That person's preaching or, or that person's teaching. Truth is, we will often see things differently. We're going to often prefer one thing over another. And there are a lot of things that we're not going to come together on. The color schemes that I have in my house, some of you will not like them in your house. Some of the color schemes you have in your house, I would not want them in my house. And that should not divide us. There are things that I prefer that you don't and vice versa. And, and some pastors, they prefer to wear a coat and tie. Others don't. That, does, that shouldn't divide us. Some churches, they prefer that women wear pants in the sanctuary. Others don't. That should not divide us. That's just preference. It really doesn't mean nothing in the whole scheme of things. Paul here is basically telling the, the, the believers in Corinth... That they're allowing things to divide them that don't really matter. Amen. They have no kingdom. What's the word I want to use? They have. Hmm. They have no kingdom benefit. That the things that we're allowing to divide us benefit the kingdom in no way, shape or form. Here's what he, that's what he's telling them here in Corinth. But then Paul, in this passage we're going to look at today in verses 17 through 25, we begin to see where Paul really shares what should divide us. Uh, if we look here in this passage, the Bible begins in verse 17 by saying, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ... Be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish? The wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now this is God's word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means to us and we pray God that your word 
that we would hide it in our hearts. For we know that your word will forever be true. We pray, God, that we would apply to our lives to where we would be in a vessel of your use in this cold and dark world. That we would be what you would have us to be. That we would do what you would have us to do according to your word. And God, whatever's accomplished, we'll know that you've done it all. And God, if there's one with us today, I pray, God, that they will not be divided by the wisdom of this world. But God, that they would cling to the old rugged cross. And we'll give you praise for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. As the Apostle Paul was closing out the previous section, he named a handful of folks that he had baptized. He, and the importance of him naming these folks was really to state the insignificance Of what was dividing them. The point of him going to Corinth or Corinth was not to baptize. The point of Apollos and Peter going to Corinth wasn't to baptize. The believers were really missing the point. The point was not about how many each one baptized. It wasn't about how they presented the message. Paul was not in competition with Apollos, nor was he in competition with Peter. He wasn't concerned about gathering for himself a following. Instead, he was there to simply preach the gospel. You know, it's a sad thing that when we're, that we're living in this time when preachers, pastors, church leaders are often, we often become so concerned about the style of service that we have or the style in which the message was presented that we become so focused on building up the church that we've forgotten what we were called and commissioned to do. God has called us into the ministry of the gospel. <laughs> If you look on my license, when they license me to preach, it is to pre- the ministry of the gospel. That's what I was licensed into. That's what I was called into. That's what Union Chapel saw that God had done in my life. And that's what they licensed me to do, to preach the gospel. And you, Reedy Branch, you called me to come and pastor. I believe it was in God's will. Do you? Some of you may, some of you may not. That's fine. I believe it was in God's will for me to come here to pastor for the season in which he brought me. And I I believe there are pastors all over the world who are in churches that God was leading them to. And he opened the doors for them to go because God had called them to preach the gospel to those congregations. But when we get involved in vocational ministry... We, we become servant leaders and we find ourselves with added duties and added responsibilities. And we find ourselves uh, 
trying to cast visions, the looking out into the future of the church. And, and I have to rein myself in because I'm always looking five to ten years down the road. And, and that may be a good thing, but, but it can't take precedence over preaching the gospel. My primary role here will always be to preach the gospel. We want to look further down the road, looking at how the world is being captivated or being brought into when we forget that it's not about bright lights. It's not about dimming lights. It's not about how big the choir is or, or how, how special the praise team may be. It's not about the style of music we sing or the style of music we refuse to sing. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's always about the gospel. Our priority has to be the call that God has placed upon our lives. As preachers, as leaders, it is the gospel. I was called to preach the gospel. Every other preacher who was called by God was called to preach the gospel. And we can't allow this world to take our focus off the gospel. You know, at the center of the gospel is this. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Because without the cross, there is no gospel. It was Jesus. He left the splendor of heaven. He came to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He did this so that he would be worthy. A worthy sacrifice for the sin of the world. He was nailed to the cross. And on the cross, he took upon my sin and your sin and the sin of this world. He gave his life, taking upon himself our penalty for our sin. And he did this so that we could be forgiven. The cross cannot be removed from the gospel. For if there's no cross, there's no gospel. And when we understand this, when we take hold of this, we will find out that the gospel is divisive. Let me say this correctly. The cross is divisive. Some of you are thinking, where is he going? The cross is divisive. Amen. J. Vernon McGee stated, the cross divides men. The cross divides saved from the unsaved. But it doesn't divide saved people. <laughs> Woo, there's a world of understanding right there in that, in that statement that if you are saying that we're saved but there was no cross chances are we're not saved because the cross divides us the cross is the middle ground between the saved and the lost and if you're standing with the saved then you've accepted the cross of Jesus Christ if you're refusing the cross, then you're over with the unsaved. And you need to understand the truth of the cross. We often take the thought that Jesus came in this world to bring peace to all men. But it appears to me from what I read 
that that's not the case. But Jesus came to give peace to those who will trust him as their Lord and their Savior. If we look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, I'm sure I have it up here. The Bible says this to Jesus. These are his words to his disciples. He said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Don't take that for an excuse to be against your mother-in-law, ladies. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. It tells me that Jesus Christ didn't come to bring peace to the whole world, but he come to bring peace. Who would accept to those who would accept the cross? The cross is divisive. Here as we find in this passage, Paul is speaking to two different groups of people. Those who are perishing, the unsaved, and those who are being saved. Do you know that's who you are if you are a born-again Christian? We often say, I'm saved. Well, you're being saved. You're saved, you're being saved, and one day you'll be fully saved. In other words, you're, you're being, you, you've been saved and you're being sanctified. In other words, he's working on you daily and he's, he's changing your life to where you, you become so, something that you once was not. To where you're no longer who you used to be, but you're a new creation in Christ. And one day he will make you like him, a brand new creation where you'll be fully saved. But that ain't going to happen here on earth. That'll happen in glory. When he has changed us into a glorified body. Yes, the cross, it's divisive here. When we look in this passage, as Paul was speaking to these two groups of people, the saved and the unsaved, the perishing and, the, and, and, and those who are being saved, he shares the message of the cross that it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's the power of God to those who are saved. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in, uh, to the Roman church when he says, For I am persuaded that of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And because the gospel of Christ, the message of the cross is the power of God, we are not to diminish the gospel by preaching with wisdom of words when we focus our attention on delivering now i'm speaking about us preachers and maybe some of us teachers those who are serving in leadership positions in churches we can be the source of division so if you feel beat up don't this is beating me up it's beating the brakes off of me and every other pastor. And, and it's not going to be popular to those who, who may see it on Facebook. But that's okay. It's the truth. When we're focusing our attention on delivering a powerful presentation or a dynamic sermon. When that's what we want to hear at the back from people. Preacher, that was a dynamic sermon. That was a wonderful presentation. 
What we've done is we've allowed the congregation to focus on the presentation and not focus on the cross. And the cross is made empty. It's made of no effect. We need the folks not to focus on the preacher, not to focus on performance, but to focus on the message of the cross. You know why I stand here? You know, y'all had a preacher for about 32 years and he, he, people said he was a foot tub preacher. You could put a foot tub right back here and he could stand in it and never move and preach his whole sermon. You know why I try to, to hold on to the roster and, and not run all over the church? It's because I don't want my performance to outweigh the message that is preached. I'd rather stand right here and have you hear the message of God rather than the performance of a preacher and know that the cross of Calvary is powerful enough to save an old wretched soul like me in his book letters to the church Francis Chan he stated the Corinthians wanted Paul to preach with eloquence like the skilled orators they enjoyed listening to, but Paul refused. They wanted a preacher who would give them the best of human wisdom. But Paul gave them the opposite. He actually limited his words because he didn't want to diminish the cross of its power. He wanted their faith to rest on the Spirit's power. He wanted a Christian, they wanted a Christian celebrity that they could all praise but Paul refused to let it be about him he gave them what they needed what was best for them rather than what they were demanding in our churches today if a pastor doesn't give you what you demand then you just get rid of him you know he shouldn't ever get upset if that takes place nah just move on. <laughs> if they don't want to hear the gospel, the Bible doesn't tell us to get mad. It doesn't tell us to get into our feelings. It tells us to wipe the dust off. <laughs> wipe the dust off. And keep moving. We've not been called to impress congregations with our styles or our delivery. Instead, we're called to preach the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we're called to preach. We, we can't fall into the trap that we have to pull out all the stops to get people in the seats. <sighs> because with whatever you use to win them to the church, you've got to use to keep them in the church. Well, isn't it great to know that it, it's the gospel? That the cross of Jesus Christ won them to the church. We wouldn't have to do anything flashy. You know, I love the fact that we have these screens. It, it helps us to be able to see the words. I know my eyes are getting bad. These are bifocals. They're not just reading glasses. My eyes are bad. And I'd hate to know I had to pick up a book every time I wanted to sing songs to God. But we can look at these screens and we can sing them. This, we didn't put this here to be flashy. We put it here to be practical. And I want us to understand that, that the message of the cross is practical. It's something that we just, we have to believe or we reject. We must win folks with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, and we do that by not diminishing the power. But the power of the gospel 
It will destroy the wisdom of the world. In verse 19, Paul quotes the second half of Isaiah. Isaiah 29 and 14, which says, For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudence shall be hidden. Basically, in verse 19, Paul is saying the exact same words. Paul begins then, as we look in verses 20 through 25, to examine that particular verse. And he asked the question, where is the wise? He asked another question, where is the scribe? Then another, where is the disputer of this age? Paul is speaking here about the Jews and the Greeks. When he asked, where is the wise? He's speaking to both groups. But then he gets specific. Where is the scribes? We know the scribes come from the Jews. The scribes were the ones who, who recopied and recopied and recopied the law of God. The, 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 the disputers of this age was those of the Gentiles, the Greeks, those of philosophy, those who were the thinking people, those who would dispute what really made all the sense in the world. They would find a way for it not to make sense. They were so big on philosophy and they thought they were so wise. And you know what? Philosophy still can't answer what is the meaning of this life. You want to know what the meaning of this life is? To be in the center of God's will and we'll have joy, peace, and hope that the world can't give us yes he asked Paul then asked as he gets specific with them has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world in other words you scribes you think you're so smart you philosophers you think you're so smart but the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of the world. Can I break this down for us? The wisdom of God is that God prepared the ultimate once and for all sacrifice. That sacrifice would be sufficient to forgive the sin of the world. Not just my sin, not just your sin, but of the world. That sacrifice, it proved, it provided it was provided through the only begotten Son of God. And Jesus, he gave his life for the sin of the world on the cross of Calvary. But since this took place, since Jesus died on the cross, the world, the Jews and the Gentiles, the unbelieving scribes, the philosophers, through their own wisdom, did not know God. The Jews looked at Jesus and because he was he wasn't born of the right family. He wasn't royalty. He wasn't a mighty soldier. In the mind of the Jews with their wisdom. The carpenter's son out of Nazareth could not have been the Messiah. To suggest that Jesus of Nazareth could be God's only son. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. And to the philosophers, they couldn't make sense of the story of Jesus. Him being the savior of the world, it seemed foolish to them that the Messiah, the anointed one, that he would die such a humiliating death. But Paul declared that even though they were looking for a sign, the Jews, they were looking for a sign. The Greeks, they were depending upon their wisdom we still preach Christ and him crucified. 
truth is the Jewish scribes and the Gentile philosophers had studied, had they had studied and believed the truth of God's word, the scriptures, (laughs) they would have seen that the foolishness of God was wiser than their own wisdom. And the weakness of God was stronger than their strength. To many today, the cross is still a stumbling block. Many are looking for God to fix all their problems. They want him, they want all their problems to be fixed immediately. They want healing in their bodies. They want their finances took care of. They want their relationships repaired immediately. But what we fail to see is he did come to fix our problems. We just don't know what our problem is. Our problem is sin. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the pride of life. And he came to fix that. He came to, to, breathe, to breathe life to in us so that we would become a living soul. Religion tells us that, what we, that we must do this and we must do that to earn salvation. And this makes sense to the world. That's why so many are going into false religions. And running away from faith in Jesus Christ. To know that that we have to go by faith and not what we can see or not what we can do. But to receive it by faith when, when I can go over here and if I do this and do that, then they tell me I can make it in. That makes a lot more sense to them. And I, I want to let you know that if we, if we could see everything, there wouldn't be any faith included. And we wouldn't trust God. We'd just trust what we'd see. What's foolish to many, what's a stumbling block to many is the fact that Jesus pursues us. He calls us. (laughs) It was Jesus who came to us. It was Jesus who lived a life we couldn't live. It was Jesus who died for us. It was Jesus who rose from the grave. It was Jesus who ascended to the Father. It was Jesus who stands at the right hand of the Father. It's Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit to live within us. The Bible tells us that in John 16 and 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It, it is to your advantage that I go away. King James says it's expedient that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the comforter will not come to you but if i depart i will send him to you (laughs) jesus has done it all he goes on it's the holy spirit that leads us and guides us it's jesus who will return and receive us unto himself and when jesus returns he will prove that those who see the cross of jesus christ the gospel of jesus christ the wisdom of god are indeed wise And those who see the cross, the gospel, a stumbling block, they will be made foolish. When we look in this, had the Jews had just searched the scriptures, had the philosophers had just read God's word, It would have made sense to them that the man they crucified was indeed the son of God. They were looking for a sign. Listen, I want to say this to us. I'm going to get out of our way. We got too many people out here in this world looking for a sign. 
we heard all sorts of stuff just a few months ago. And I'm going to say this as boldly as I can. I don't care how many people sit under those preachers. I don't care what kind of mansion they're living in. I don't care how many times they've been right or they've been wrong. But when someone tells you that God has given them something outside of this word, you trust his word. Let every man be a liar and let God be the truth. There are many false prophets today. They declared things about this election. And we see they were wrong. Listen, I want to say this now. If we, the only thing that's dividing the lost and the saved is the cross. If you've been by the cross, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then everyone who has their name written down in the Lamb's book of life, we are family. It doesn't matter what our political stance is. Now, I I know where I stand, and I know how I voted, and I, I know how people in this world was all upset, but folks, listen, I can't judge a man's salvation by how he marks on a piece of paper, and neither can you. You have your ideas, but just as much wrong as you find in one party, if you'll look close enough to your party, you'll find wrong there. And as much right as you find in your party, you might have to look awfully hard, but you can find it in another party. We can't allow preference to divide us. The only dividing line is the cross. Because Jesus hung on the cross to die for the sin of the world. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know this. He died on the cross for you. Gave his life for you. And now, (laughs) the cross is standing between you and him. He'll never get back on it. Once and for all. So the question becomes now, do you really want to take a chance on being wrong? Listen, we may be divided in here. There may, I believe there's some here that would stand on the side saying that the cross is the gospel and Jesus died on the cross and he forgave them of their sins and they are saved. They're sealed till the day of redemption. They know that heaven's their home and then there's others that I'm not so sure. Some, the cross is still a stumbling block. My question, do you really want to leave here today taking a chance on being separated from God for eternity? The power of the cross destroys the wisdom of the world. Do you want to take a chance on being wrong? 
I've received Christ as my Savior. And you know, if I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. But if I'm right, I've gained everything. If you've yet to receive Christ as your Savior, if you're right, you've gained nothing. (laughs) But if you're wrong, you've lost everything. Are you really sure you want to take that chance? Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin. That may sound foolish, but he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And he died a sinner's death. That may sound foolish, but it's what took place. He sacrificed himself for those who did not know him. (laughs) That may, it, it may sound foolish, but it's the truth. He gave up his life. They placed him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, He came up out of that tomb. (laughs) That may sound foolish, but it's the truth. Right now, he's at the right hand of God. He's not sitting down. He's standing. And while he's standing, he's waiting on word from his father to come and receive his bride his church to where he is there we can be always that may sound foolish but it's the truth and you've got to take it by faith if taking this by faith is a stumbling block to you you're risking your entire eternity Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. And as he speaks, trust what he's saying. As the church is praying all over, is he speaking to you? Is he telling you that this is true? If he is, are you willing to believe that apart from Jesus, you have no hope? You have no future? But with Jesus, you can have everything. Are you willing to believe that he did leave heaven? He did come to earth. He did live a sinless life. He did die for your sins. He did arise. Do you believe this today? If you do, will you receive him as your Lord and Savior?